Welcome to The Real Estate Deal with Danny Brown. This week's episode is brought to you by The Optimist. The Optimist Men's Store is at the platform in Culver City off Washington. Everything you could imagine is there. The coolest shirts, pants, glasses, shoes, David and Joey that own it. They source the best boutique fashion from all over the world, whether it's from Rome or whether it's from London or Japan. They bring it all together, so it's a one-stop shop. I'm getting all my gear there. Please tell them that I sent you. So check it out, the platform. There's also a ton of cool restaurants and shops there as well. This week's episode of The Real Estate Deal is with Santiago Arana. Santiago, a good buddy of mine, used to be a partner of mine at the, at the agency, is one of the top agents in the country. I mean, top 10, maybe top five year after year, hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars per year. And he's a one-man uh, engine. I mean, he doesn't have a whole team of 50 people. Uh, he's got two assistants and one right-hand man, Griffin. Uh, they're unbelievable. But this is a story about the American dream. He came here from South America with nothing, and he has an incredible mindset uh, and really walks the walk and talks the talk in terms of uh, you know, following your plan, discipline, meditation, fitness, life hacks. So we get into a lot of cool stuff. You can find Santiago at Santiago Arana on Instagram or Santiago at the agency. And enjoy this episode as much as I did. Thanks. Welcome to The Deal, Santiago Arana. How are you, my brother? Good to see you. What's up, Danny? Good to see you too, man. Good to see you too. Thanks for having me. Yeah, happy summer. We're kicking off our new season with you. We're doing a new real estate-focused series of The Deal. So happy to have you. I've known you a long time. So for those of you that don't know Santiago, and most of you do who are listening, he is one of the top real estate brokers in the world, top handful uh, but more than that, a really successful human being in terms of someone who walks the walk and talks the talk. I've always respected and admired you, and it's a lot of inspiration. And you're the ultimate American dream story. But people have heard that story. And since I know you a little differently, and I've known you since we came up in the biz as young Turks in the early 2000s and grinded it out and started making a little money, and we, we kind of evolved in the business until the big crash happened and everyone went running in every direction and me and you kind of came through that crash at the same time and sort of took off our business at the same time. You've taken it to the highest, highest level, uh, which is amazing. Um, but I don't want to get into too much, too much of that business story because everyone knows it. So what I wanted to do today, with your permission, is to tell the secret of Santiago Arana because every time you speak... <laughs> Every time you do a seminar, everyone says, yeah, 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 yeah. But there is something else that makes you successful. And I've done a lot of research on this, Santi. Uh, I've known you a long time. We've scaled the earth from Interpol, the CIA, <laughs> cartels. <laughs> We've researched everywhere. We have the top 10 list. Are you ready? This is the I'm top ready. 10 reasons. This is a little homage to David Letterman. So we're going to start with this before we get more serious. Here's the top 10 reasons why Santiago is so successful. Number one, and one of these is true. We're not sure which one. Your great-grandfather is Sumin Ituri Patino, the wealthiest man in the history of Bolivia, uh, wealthier than Bill Gates and Warren Buffett. So that would make sense that you're just connected. <laughs> Number two. Yeah, no, I definitely am very familiar with the Patino family in Bolivia. He yeah, was, uh, they say that's your grandfather. So I can He was right. the Baron of Silver back in the day. Yeah, the richest man in the world back in the day. But I have zero <laughs> relationship with him. Damn. Zero. Other than that, we're in the same country. Okay, number one is Rob. Here's number two. It's got to be this. You are a member of the Cali cartel. 
And they're washing their illicit funds by buying and selling homes in Brentwood and Palisades. That makes sense. I think, look, I mean, I've been trying to hide it for the longest time, right? <laughs> I mean, look at that jacket yeah, and that shirt. You got I it. I have be. actually a funny story regarding, uh, you know, this kind of conversation. Uh, when I was living in Bolivia and I was about 13, uh, I think it was 13 or 12 in 1992, 1993. I can't recall exactly when, but if you do a research on when Pablo Escobar was killed, I think it was 93 at the end of the year. Uh, so a few months before that happened, you know, uh, Pablo Escobar's partner, main partner, business partner, was a guy by the nickname Techo de Paja. He just actually got released from jail about a year ago. Wow. And uh, uh, he was his partner. He was a provider from Bolivia of a lot of the stuff that came out. And I guess they were having a meeting and he lived literally three doors from where I used to live, oh uh, obviously God. not knowing. And one of those nights, I there was a, uh, you know, they were they were they chasing him, right? And he's jumping from roof to roof, <laughs> and I didn't know who it was at the time until the next day in the news they put it that Pablo Escobar was almost caught in Bolivia and he escaped. And I guess that's when he started to escape and uh, went up north and up north and then ultimately got to Colombia and got killed in the in the, in the, in the roof. Right? I knew it. I knew so it. That's, that's, the that's, that's, the, that's the connection I have with that. Uh, just so it's not, that. There's I some connection, but not that connection. All right. This one I think could be it. You, you were a soccer phenom in Bolivia. You made the World Cup team at 14 and you had a 15-year professional soccer career and made $100 million playing for Villarreal in Spain. That is something that I would love to do. Like, I would love to be good at soccer and play soccer and travel the world playing soccer. And just because, as you know, you know, I like exercising and I like sports. I'm an athlete and uh, uh, I'm like, my dream is to be a professional athlete. So that wouldn't be amazing, but that's not. So you weren't a phenom at 14. Hmm. All right. No. Number four. I think this could be definitely it. It's your wife. You're married to a beautiful blonde-haired woman, and her name is Holly Branson, the daughter of Richard Branson, Virgin. <laughs> Isn't that yeah, your wife? No, she looks like that's, her. Uh, that's not true. That, that's <laughs> definitely not true. I don't know who Holly Branson is. And uh, the only thing in common probably that my wife and I heard is like they're both blonde, but that's it. She looks like, she looks like your wife. She's blonde. I thought that was it. Um, okay, how about this one? Your half-brother is Elon Musk, and you were an early investor in PayPal and Tesla. Well, uh, if that was the case, I will be probably uh, competing with my half-brother on trying to set up a shop in Venus or some other planet, or, you know, so something crazy. But uh, no, that's not the case. And uh, uh, yeah, that wouldn't be the reason. I'm sorry to disappoint you guys, but that's not the secret. All right, well, let me run through the next five. I'll just go quickly. Here's number six. You were a notorious bank robber in South America, and you escaped with all your riches to America, and you've been avoiding the law ever since. That's number six. Number seven, you are actually Satoshi Nakamoto, the man who invented the blockchain, and you are the man that everyone's been looking for. <laughs> number eight, this could really be it. You were a famous supermodel in Milan and Paris and still have Calvin Klein underwear ads running in China and Russia, and you've made millions <laughs> off that. And this could be a two. Your real name isn't Santiago Arana. It's Stephen Aaron. Stephen Aaron Spielberg Jr., Steven Spielberg's son. After your bar mitzvah, you decided to you wanted to pursue a career in real estate, so you changed your name to Santiago Arana. You learned a Bolivian accent. You bought a red Lambo, and there you went. That was it. 
No? Dude, where did you come up with all these ideas, man? Where did all right, this is it. This, but this I, is I wonder if this is, uh, I, I mean, I, I, some of them, I, it's funny because uh, I heard from uh, from people saying stuff like crazy stuff like that. But this, this idea, I don't know where you got them from, but uh, they're hilarious, man. Well, I appreciate it. Unfortunately, Steven. sorry to disappoint that none of them is true. No, Steven, uh, Santiago. Arana, Aaron. Okay, here's the last one, then we'll move on to more serious stuff. And I, this is what I was told is the most accurate. Uh, you were actually built in an Israeli laboratory by some of the finest genetic scientists in the world, and your genes were handpicked to build the ultimate high-end residential real estate person. <laughs> this is the same lab that built LeBron James and Tiger Woods and, and oh uh, Mike Trout and many others. That's got to be it. That's the secret. Dude, I, You're I, out I, I don't know what you to say about first. that one, actually, that you put me at that level <laughs> with uh, with those incredible athletes and, uh, and people, man. I mean, uh, I probably, I, if I was built in a lab, I probably was the leftovers of whatever happened in that lab after you left those people. <laughs> All right, so I'm changing gears now. I, I just had to do it. So the secret's out. Now we know the secret. It's nothing to do with right. hard work. Thanks and, for exposing uh, all my secrets, actually. Yeah, there you go. So look, I, uh, in your honor, took a cold shower for five minutes, did some meditation. You've probably already run a 10K, swam a mile, meditated, <laughs> made 30 calls, listed two homes, and here you are at 10 a.m. But let's get back to early Santiago years. Since I've known you since you were uh, early on your year, let's go back you did grow up in Bolivia, very different environment. Tell me a little bit about what the culture and environment was like where you grew up in Bolivia, your parents, what they did for a living. Uh, let's start with that and then sort of go into what your group of friends was doing then and are those group of friends, uh, what are they doing now? Uh, they moved to United States, are they there? Like, Tell me a little bit about life in Bolivia. Sure, years. sure, sure. You know, I grew up in Bolivia, which, as many of you know, is a third world country uh, in the middle of South America, landlocked. Um, I, uh, uh, you know, my mom, my mother uh, was a kindergarten teacher, uh, second generation Croatian born in Bolivia. Uh, my dad is uh, third generation Spanish uh, from País Basque in, uh, in Spain. Uh, he was uh chemical engineer, and then he ventured into politics, and he became a, a pretty prominent pol politician in Bolivia. Okay. Uh, I, I, I grew up with my mom. My parents got divorced when I was five, so I moved to a very small town where my mom's family were there, and I grew up with her and her family uh, in a very, very, very cool, easy, relaxed environment where I remember I had a key of my house since I was six. I walked to school. I had to cross a river to get to my school. Uh, a couple of occasions I fell on the river and I, I was wet. I had to go to school, my pants wet. Uh, but at the same time, it was an incredible experience because you're able to, uh, with my kids, again, with my friends, since we were six, seven years old, grab our bikes, go into the farms or different places out in the ranches and get a backpack and go and steal fruit and uh, run from the owners of the ranch, uh, takers, people that were taking care of the ranch. So I had that kind of very innocent, cool, uh, small town uh, experience growing up. It was, was really, it was really beautiful. What was the town called? The city, it's a city, it's, it's called Tarija. Uh, back in the day it was small, I call it town because it's almost like a town. But it's in the border with Argentina, so there's a lot of Argentinian influence. I grew up like with my friends playing the guitar and playing folkloric music and uh, cooking barbecues on the floor and grilling and uh, 
you know, all that kind of culture is also known is, is this city is uh, the Napa of Bolivia. So oh, really? it grew up with a very, very good uh, wine culture there, too. And uh, and it was great. It was it was great to grow up and 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 understand simplicity and uh, and what beautiful things are in life that you don't need a lot for it. Uh, and at the same time, you're able to. I was able to cultivate a, an, an ambition to 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 get out of there and to do something more. But it was beautiful to have that experience growing up. Okay, so it sounds like a very nice upbringing, kind of farm, ranch, wine country. Very cool. But obviously very different, third world country, Latin America, South America, uh, very different from here. So tell me, uh, you know, you said you had some ambitions. As you started getting older, high school years, and starting to get to be a, a teenager and, you know, starting to get to the end of your high school type education, did, did you, when did you start having thoughts of, hey, I should move on to the United States or have a, an ambition or a desire to want to do something better. And was that something that a lot of people around you were wanting to do or was that uncommon? Kind of speak to that a little bit. It was it was very uncommon uh, to pick up and leave, right? And that was not the original intention anyway, to just move and come here and, and live here forever. Uh, uh, I didn't really come up with any of those ideas until I actually finished college. Uh, okay. I went to college into a different city. And this occasion, I moved to a bigger city called Santa Cruz, and I went to live with my dad. I went to a private university there, and I studied business administration and marketing. And once I graduated, uh, you know, I went to work for uh, the statistics, uh, national statistics company for the country. And I was like, no, no, what I'm doing. It was like. I'm 22, I got a job, but I don't know what to do. And I was showing up in this office and I was like so frustrated and bored. And, and I felt like, I'm, you know, what I'm, what I'm, I don't feel like I'm being of use. And I was just mechanical. And the situation was very unstable in Bolivia. So they tried to kill the president one afternoon, two doors down from where I was working in the government. And it was a horrible day. The 85 people died. And, uh, and I remember leaving that place and calling my dad and say, "Hey, this this is not uh, this is not good. <laughs> I don't like it. I'm not happy here. I need to figure out something." I said, "Maybe it's a good idea that I apply for a scholarship to do a master degree or something." So he said, "It's a good idea." So he's he says, uh, "Let me take you going back." And that's why the, the Israeli story could be a little bit like uh, <laughs> something that someone would think. Uh, my dad studied in a kibbutz when he was growing up, and see, uh, he went to a kibbutz, and uh, and when he was there, I guess he. He was a good student, and the owners of the kibbutz said, you know, if you have a son, when he's old enough, we like to offer him a scholarship. So I went, and I'm Amazing. like, that. They're not going to remember 20 years later. So we went into the Israeli embassy in Bolivia, and they remembered. And they were like, sure, we'll give it to him. And he's like, what, are you going to take it in Hebrew or in English? I was like, what? They don't have any Spanish? Yeah. So I didn't and speak did any of those languages, any, right? Yeah, you didn't speak any English. You didn't learn that. Zero. Zero. <laughs> so no, they are no like, look. English. <laughs> Nada. I couldn't buy a Fanta on the store. Oh boy! Uh, and, uh, so I go into. Uh, I, I tell my, you know, they say you wanna, you can come back next year. We'll give it to you, but you need to go and learn one of the languages. So I'm like, probably English will be more useful in Bolivia. So wow. I remember find out my, through my mom that I had an aunt in, in, in the U.S. I said, maybe that's the way to go by immersion. I need I have a year only and I need to learn. So being in the place, you know, by immersion is going to force me to learn faster. So long story short, uh, my mom connected with an aunt that I didn't know that was living here. And she said, he can stay in my couch for eight months and I'll provide food and a couch. And that's it. And that this was it, your, man. Your I moved mom's, over here. Your mom's sister? No, my mom's 
third cousin. Oh, it's right. like a third cousin. So it's not even that close. You didn't know the person or you hadn't met her. Yeah, I met nothing. her when I was like four years old. I didn't but, remember. Yeah, but, uh, you knew know, nothing about just, her. I love her. She gave me an incredible opportunity and he helped me with, with many things on how to understand how to navigate in the United States and understand the culture very fast. How old were you at that point? So at that point, I was 23. That was yeah, so. May 2003. I was 23. I, I made a decision to come and learn English. And that was what I was doing. I was passing tables in the day and uh, learning English in a free school uh, at night. This um, is in Santa Barbara, right? Santa Barbara, yes. Got it. And you didn't know Santa Barbara from New York? Nothing. Really. You had no you, idea. You couldn't, told me, you couldn't tell me you're going to Tennessee, Kansas City. You had no idea. Yeah. For me, it was like, I'm going to the United States. So that's interesting. So the one of the catalysts was this sort of revolution happening right in front of you. Was it literally yes. like military and people in the streets right there? Like Military, you know, cops, shooting each other, president of Bolivia jumping in the private plane. If you frightened. Google it, uh, Gonzalo Sanchez de Losada was the president. They tried to kill him. He got in a plane, he flew into Miami, and he's been living in Miami since then as a refugee. Uh, crazy story, man. Crazy. That's the sort of stuff you read about. So that was that's a huge a huge motivator for a young guy to go, what the <laughs> what am I doing? But you know what? You yeah. could have picked Hebrew. You could have been in Tel Aviv now and been a, you could have been a tech mogul in in, uh, in Tel Aviv. Yeah. But you yeah. came here to become a real estate schmuck instead. <laughs> I know, I know. Man. Imagine, you, know, you, you make those decisions when you you're young. You could have 10x, you know? bro, 10x with the tech in the television. <laughs> uh, so anyway, so here you are. You're in Santa Barbara. That's unbelievable. So, And I've known this. You've told me this story, but you were sleeping on a couch. You had six months or eight months. You had no money. You didn't speak English. So how do you get a job if you don't speak English? You just went in as a, a Latin-speaking uh, dishwasher? Or... No, I mean, I went. I actually went to the best neighborhood. I went in Montecito and Coast Village Road, and I found the best restaurant at the time, one of the best ones in there. And I went and filled up an application. And uh, I was lucky enough that the, the general manager was actually there because a lot of times when in the restaurant business, I learned later when I was trying to work in other restaurants, you fill up an application and it gets thrown in the garbage or the hostess sees it and maybe you're yeah. lucky she's going to say something. So the, the general manager was there and I just approached him and I didn't know he was the manager. And he said, uh, you, what are you doing? He said, I want to get a job. And in Spanish, right? I'm, and he's like, okay. He was speaking Spanish. He was from Brazil, but he spoke Spanish too. And I, I speak a little Portuguese uh, at the time. And uh, uh, we connected and he's like, okay, you're going to be a busboy because you don't speak English. You're going to clean tables and uh, go and get a uniform. You need a shirt, blue shirt, black pants, and I'll see you tonight. Got it. Boom. So that was it. That was my first job, you know, start bashing tables, learning English. And then I learned English and I became a waiter. And the funny thing is I went full circle. This this guy, Andre, who you met. Yes. Uh, he works at the agency uh, now. You know, <laughs> eight years later, 10 years later, called me. He said, I got my license. I moved to L.A. And now he works for the agency. Amazing. So here, here's a great. This is the whole American dream story. But what I what's fascinating to me, and maybe I'm I don't know all the insights, but you were not bummed to be uh, washing dishes. You were like, hey, I'm making money. I'm learning English. I'm making the most of this. Uh, am I wrong, or was that sort of your? No, attitude? no, no. Like, you're I'm not. Embarrassed. Well, I had 120 bucks, and uh, I moved to my aunt's house, and I'm like 23. And in Bolivia, the culture is a little different. A lot of people, when I don't know now, but back in the day, you know, you live with your parents until you really made a little money, and then you go on your own, or you get married, and then you go on your own. So I was under the impression that my aunt was like, I ran out of the money, and one day I went and I say, Hey, I'm gonna go out tonight. Uh, 
can you give me some money for drinks? And she looked at me, he's like, go get a job. And I was like, what? A job? He was What's talking, that? right? I'm like, what, what job? Like, what, what am I going to work at? And I don't speak English. And that, that was it, you know? So me going there and being able to walk away every day with $40, $30 was great. Huge, I can right? buy drinks. I can, you know? Yeah. So look, I, I want to get fast forward a little bit, but I know there's a lot yeah. that that whole part of your life could be a full podcast because it's you learned English, you learned how to deal with people and read people. I mean, being a waiter in Montecito with the types of people you're dealing with, high-end attitudes, totally applies to anything at high-end business, but certainly real estate. Uh, learning to read people, huge. Uh, I know you met your wife there. You were a waiter, and she was from a nice, well-off family. So here's a Latin-speaking guy with an accent uh, meeting his wife, the blonde hair, blue eye, uh, beauty, American girl. So that, that in itself is another story. Um, but at some point you were flourishing in that setup, learned your English, decided you want something more. You moved to LA, I think because of the wife, as I remember, you'll feel me about it because I think it got serious. So you made the move and now here you are. And Oh boy, I need to do something with my life. I can't be a waiter. I know you researched, how do I make money? What's the best thing I could do? You got into real estate. Um, it wasn't easy. I got to imagine there was a lot of t- days of stress and anxiety over making money when you started mm-hmm. in real estate. So talk to me about how that felt when you're new to L.A., you know nobody, and you now have a girlfriend, serious girlfriend. So you're probably starting to think about family and I need to be able to bring something to the table. What was that pressure and stress like as a young man? You were still in your early 20s. And this is, you know, I met you soon after this. So. Tell me about yeah. that, what that was like. So, look, it was, uh, you know, at that point, obviously, uh, I'm in Montecito. I see these rich people, I, you know, waited on Oprah, Brad Pitt, or Kevin Costner. I'm in this restaurant now yes. waiting on these people. And I see this life and I'm like going out on the beach and, and see yachts and boats and cars. And so, like, the level of ambition, you know, it, it became it became a different, different kind of animal. You saw it was and real. I, you could touch it and smell it. It was in front of you, in your it's face. It's there, right? So all I'm seeing is I see money flying in the air, and I want to catch it. I just need to figure out how. And uh, I am, uh, I'm, I'm thinking now, like, I'm, I, yeah, I mean, like, I don't really want to go back to Bolivia. I don't really want to go into that scholarship. I need to figure out how can I stay here because, you know, there's many reasons why I wanted to stay now. Uh, so I said, well, I, well, I study, right? I went to college, so I need to translate, I guess, my, my degree into in, equivalent in English, which was business administration and marketing. Uh, and I'm going to go start dropping resumes in different places. Right now I speak English uh, and I can do that. So I started going to different places, insurance companies, uh, different kind of companies where I could work, right? And not, none of that was really exciting. I mean, it uh, wasn't exciting. And to be honest, I mean, they were starting with a salary that it was less than what I was making in cash waiting yeah. tables at the moment. You're like, this sucks. Because I was working a lot. I wasn't just working three shifts, right? Yeah. I was working seven days a week, double shifts. Right. So for a young guy, so like, you were making bank cash. Yeah, yeah. So I was like, okay, but I, and then I, in one hand, I said, well, let's think about this. I mean, but they offer insurance, they offer benefits, and then you can grow a career. Okay, so how high can I grow a career? Yeah. How, how, you know? So I started looking, I'm like, okay, a big executive there, after 10, 15 years is making $250,000 maybe at the time. So I started doing these numbers. And while I was doing that, my cousin, Misha, who now works here at the agency, uh, was doing loans. And it was 2004, 2000, so the, the loan business was crashing it. And he's yeah. making money, two hours, sit down, 
did a few emails, go surf and make 10 grand. And I was like, what do you do? I want to do that. Yeah. So he says, well, I do loans. And he explains to me, he's like, you need to get a license. And he says, oh, by the way, go get a license because you, I think you'd be better in real estate. Yeah. And I'm like, what's real estate? You do nothing. And so he explains to me, I had no clue, right? Yeah. And that was not a career that ever crossed my mind. I mean, definitely not profitable back in the day in Bolivia. And that, that, that was the guy that finds you a house and not some, not, not really a career that you aspire down there. Now, right. now I don't know if it's changed. It's been, you know, 18 years since I left. So, But uh, that was really the, the thing that he put in the back of my mind. So when I was comparing these companies, I was like, okay, how about real estate? How much money these real estate agents make, right? So I say, okay, who are the top agents in LA at the time? And that's how I found Rodrigo yeah. and, and other right. people, right? And I was like, okay, these guys are making over a million bucks. I'm like, okay, that's what I'm going to do. And that was really what I said, you know, I'm going to do. Now, you know, from wanting to do that and doing it, you know, it's, it's, it took so a long process, right? right I, so I continue to wait tables to be able to generate money to, to eat and, and pay my bills and everything for about four and a half years while I was doing real estate. Yeah. So your first and four for the first year, years. I didn't sell anything. For the right. second year, I sold one condo for $495,000. The third year, then I started to do a little bit better. And as I started to do better uh, and I got a little savings in 2007, I decided, okay, finally now, by the end of 2007, I think, finally now I can, you know, just do real estate 100%. I can yeah. quit the restaurant, which I did, had a little savings, and wham, 2008 came. And uh, that's ah, when we did that deal here fun. down in, uh, we did that deal of here on Green and Green. Was it Green yes. and Green? Yeah. And yeah. that was, you know, it was horrific, right? Wow. I mean, uh, I went from like excitement to leave the restaurant and now do real estate 100% to like, oh shit, what am I going to do now? The yes. phone's not ringing, nothing's selling, people are scared to death. Oh, uh, and, uh, and the, you know, so yeah, it was, it, was, it was definitely a rough time, you know, and uh, it did cross my mind. Uh, that at some point I'm going to have to do something because nothing was selling, right? Yeah. Uh, so for many reasons, it was challenging for me. It was uh, not just then, even in the beginning. I was like, okay, I'm in LA now and I'm going to sell homes to who? Right. I don't have relatives. I don't have uh, college roommates. I don't have friends from high school. I don't know anyone. No. I mean, the only person I knew at the time was like my wife. And I was yeah. like, how am I going to sell stuff, right? So I'm door knocking and I'm frustrated. Uh, it wasn't easy. It was, it was no. tough to build a... Uh, but the interesting thing is, through 2008 is when I really build that that portfolio and that uh, uh, book of clients, right? Because I remember no one was working, no one was doing anything, and I was like doing open houses Saturday and Sunday. I was yes. like one of the few guys out there with a sign, seeing yep. open houses, and people were like, you know, the perception I'm assuming from people were like, this guy's busy. I mean, he's yeah. selling. So they, you know, I started meeting a lot of people that way. And as the market started raising up, I guess, you know, these people remember that I was working hard and I was doing good. And they were like, okay, well, do you remember that guy? Yeah, let's call. And I started getting a lot of phone calls. And and that's how, you know, literally snowballed from that point. Yeah. So uh, you say, when I first knew you, you were working under Rodrigo, who was a huge luxury broker. He's uh, yeah. South American. Yeah. He has his convertible Bentley and his equestrian get up. So that was Great. a good place to learn the high end. Uh, it was clear that you were going to be successful. We were all kind of young Turks in the early, mid-2000s, like you said, making a little money, and it was good money. And then the crash happened as we were all kind of taken off. So how stressful was it, and how did you deal with the stress of that? Uh, and 
let's start with that. I want people to understand that it wasn't such an easy climb. And what, what was it like if you can put yourself in those shoes of, I don't know if you were engaged or married yet, but you it know, was what, super stressful, man. It was, it was very stressful because at this point I had two kids now, right. uh, you know, we had two kids, uh, they were, you know, babies and, uh, and, 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 you know, it, it was stressful. And I mean, uh, I was not getting any help from anyone from Bolivia. They don't have the means to do it. Uh, neither my wife, you know, like at the time, we, you know, and uh, it, it was really stressful. You know, it was, it was, uh, it, it, I think that's about the time when I decided to do something about to battle that stress and to have control because I, I learned that there were things that I, I was not going to be able to control, right? And I always say, like, they, let's, let's focus on the things you can control because the stock market, the crash, all those things, I had zero control over it. But what I did have control over it is like, okay, I need to feel good about myself. And the first way to feel good about yourself is being healthy, you know, eating healthy, exercising. And that's why I started to applying these this concepts of jumping in the ocean because, you know, it just changed your state, it changed your mood, it renews your cells, your blood it goes everywhere. So that's one way for me to snap out of every time I'm feeling down, I'm feeling like stagnant. I literally drive to the ocean and I jump in the ocean. Uh, and that switches up, you know, it's like uh, Tony Robbins, you know, I'm a big yeah. follower of Tony Robbins. Uh, you need to change your physiology, right? Because if you change your physiology, then your psychology yeah. also changes, right? Changed. So how to do that? So I start digging into like, I remember uh, watching The Secret and was a big eye opener for me. I was right. like crying watching it. I was like, why no one told me about this before? Why Why is it that they don't teach this to kids in high school? Right. You know, why it's like, get, why don't we learn you know, it's like, this college. is crazy. So then I started going into a crazy search of like books, think and grow rich, the science of getting rich. Tony Robbins did all the courses for yeah. Tony Robbins. Uh, so I got into a number of things like that. Now, this is all happening while the market crashed and is yes. kind of going through tumultuous and maybe coming out of it a little bit, but. You yes. were going into this deep, self-exploratory uh, It started of your a little life. before. It started, I, I started to get into this actually when I met Rodrigo because I was very negative and I was very uh, like complaining. And he's the one that told me you need to change your attitude. And he gave me the book, uh, The Science of Getting Rich, actually. And that yeah. led me to go into the secret and this and that. Yeah. So I started before, which is kind of actually, I started creating stuff in my mind prior to that. They eventually got me to work with Rodrigo because he was busy. He was not interested in helping me other than giving a few tips and whatever. Right. And eventually, you know, we started doing a lot of business, work together. I worked, worked with him. We became partners. We became equal partners. And eventually we, we, we went in our own ways for different reasons. Uh, incredible, generous, beautiful soul. Yeah. Uh, great guy always grateful and uh, and always be grateful to, to the opportunity he gave me. But yes, all that started happening. So I, I really grabbed into those concepts as all these tumultuous and, and economic crisis happened. I was laser focused on like, I know that in my reality, I'm creating this right. life. I, I'm creating this career for me. And all that that's happening out there, I'm not just not gonna pay attention. And uh, that's about the time when I stopped watching the news. Uh, uh, really? 2007, when my, my first time was born, we made a decision not to watch the news because it was just so negative and distracting. And I was like, I don't need this. And I got into these uh, routines that I do, right? And uh, I'm a very disciplined guy. Uh, I learned discipline very early, I guess, through martial arts. And then I went to the army for one year. So uh, when I say I'm going to do something, I do it. Like, what time I wake up? I wake up at five in the morning every day. And, I, you know, you, you guys heard this. I don't need to repeat this whole story again of what I do in my routine every day. But uh, that really made a difference. That helped me go through that time. And uh, as, as, as when you surf, right? 
you gotta sometimes wait for the right waves, right? And then you jump in the right wave and you ride with it and you go farther, right? Sure. So I feel like that's Good what happened. Analogy. I prepared, prepared, prepared myself. And then when 2011, 2012, I started to do great. It was a good wave to catch that uh, I'm glad that I haven't got off yet. Yes, yes. Um, I want to stick to this point because it's just fascinating. You really are a believer and a practicer of meditation and uh, wellness and mindfulness and, you know, positive thinking and all those things. You walk the walk and talk the talk. And yes, we've all heard you get up early and you meditate and do all this stuff. Um, Are there any new life hacks or things that you don't do or have maybe just started or thinking of doing that you'd like to add to your routine that that you could share yeah for sure you know i actually start looking into more of the health hacking of uh you know a how can you hack your your body and your and your health and your and your system so i started uh to do a very uh like a very very intense uh, keto diet Okay. Uh, I wanted to test it. And in order to test it, to see if it really works in the way it works, if you do it right, because a lot of people do it wrong, but if you do it right, I mean, there's a company called To Be Keto. They're friends of mine that they do it right. I mean, when, when I say they do it right is they grab all the fat, the animals, the, the food that they, they find is from carbon-free fa- uh, farms that they are organic. They don't give any hormones to the animals. It's yeah. all natural. So you're putting good stuff in your body. Even the fat, when the fat's good, it's good for you, right? And I don't need to get into a health hole, whatever. So I did it. My cholesterol levels went down. I literally burned probably about eight to 10 pounds of fat. I feel tremendous amount of energy. I feel great. So that's one of the new things that I did because now I have a lot more energy. I go way more uh, intense on many hours than I used to. I combine that, which makes it even better for the hacking of your, of your system with the intermittent fasting. So I don't eat for 16 hours and I have only eight hours that I eat and all I'm eating is keto food, right? So that's one of the things that I start doing and it's, and it's been uh, it's pretty, pretty amazing, the results that I got with that. I know not everybody because I talked to a specific doctor about this. Not everybody's meant to do the same right. diet, right? right? There are people, they can do that. They just... You need to find what works with you. And I didn't know this was going to work for me because I actually had a little bit of high cholesterol. Uh, but these friends of mine told me that if I actually eat the good fat, it's going to help me with my cholesterol. I'm like, how is this going to make sense? And I right. went prior to the diet to my doctor. and said, I want a blood test. I want to tell me what my levels of cholesterol and everything is, my liver, everything, right? And then two months later of doing this, no failing though, right? Literally, like I stopped drinking uh, because, wow. you know, so you, you can really drink when you're doing that. Sugar, I cut all sugars. And uh, two months later, I went to my doctor. He's like, what are you doing? Your cholesterol went down. Your Everything looks great, right? So, and I'm eating ribeye, <laughs> right? With two scoops of grass-fed, obviously, ribeye and grass-fed butter on top yeah. of it. And I'm like, this is so counterintuitive. I was like, how am I eating so much fat? And I'm losing fat. My cholesterol is getting better. It's like crazy, you know? Yeah. But that's my new uh, life uh, hacking thing that I'm doing. So and obviously, doing the- how that translates into work is I'm full of energy. Yeah, yeah. So you're doing the 16-8? Is that what you're doing? Yeah. 16-8. Yeah, I do that on and off. How long have you been doing when you said you really did it for like a strict period? How long was that period? I did two months super strict. Yeah. Uh, then I, I went a little bit more relaxed with the keto. Yeah. Uh, in a sense, like, you know, in the weekends, if I go, I want to have dinner or lunch with friends and family, whatever, I just You'll allow have a myself cheap to meal eat or uh, cheap a little day. bit more. Not as much as I used to, though, because <laughs> I got to say my body got used to it. Like, honestly, before I was such a strict dude, I will finish... At dinner, I will have 
you know, a, a good amount of wine, and then I'll sit down and eat a cake and popsicles <laughs> and cookies. You know, yeah. with kids, how it is, you know, You're all these good things are always in the pantry, yeah. right? And I'll just eat and eat all this stuff. And now, like, honestly, my body doesn't even, even, even crave that anymore. Yeah. Yeah, like I'm a big eater too, so it's really hard with the kids. When you even yeah. when, you, when I try to do keto, I've never been able to pull off more than a couple of weeks. But it's I need to get back yes. to it. It works. It does work well for me. Um, so just wanted to touch on that because I know that you're big in fitness and, and all that. But getting back to real estate, I, I tried to think in my memory. You know, what was the moment for you, uh, from my perspective, where you sort of launched to this high end uh, elite status? Uh, and you were successful, you know, for many years with Rodrigo and on your own. And but there's different levels to this, right? There's levels to everything. Uh, so in my mind, what I recall as one of this a big listing that you had that sort of set it off in my mind was a listing on Chautauqua. The spec uh -huh. it was sort of like a, a Tuscan stone, beautiful yeah, yeah, yeah. spec on Chautauqua. And I can't remember the year. I don't remember if that was. 16 or 12? No, that was 2011 or 2012. 12. So was that the first massive listing you had? That's what I remember. It was the first massive listing I had. It was a, it was a big listing uh, for the area. And it was Huge. a record for the area when I sold it. It was 16 million, I remember. Uh, so it was, it was big. Yeah, it was it was incredible. And how, how did you get that listing? And door knocking. That was a door knocking. Yeah. And did you find the lot for the the builder or something? Or I door knock when when the hell the old house was about to be torn down, and I met the builder there. So I was I was going to all these old houses, yeah. and uh, I met the guy there, and I was like, "Is this your house?" He's like, "Yes," and I'm like, you know, I start talking to him, and he said, "I'm gonna knock it down," and I built that relationship from that moment. And Amazing. I was him and talking to him. And so that's 2011, 2012. So let's talk about if you're, uh, if you're comfortable with it. I'd love to hear the progression because everybody's heard these astronomical numbers where you are now and, you know, hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars of production and, you know, growing. And that's where you are now. But even as a successful agent back then, I mean, what was the progression of production, if you said from like 2011 and 12 for like the next three or four years? Because you did accelerate from about the end, the beginning of when the market changed at 11, 12 to, you know, 13, 14, 15, 16, when the market started really going, you had a dramatic progression in volume. Do you recall, can you remember like how, what the increments were? So do we, do we want to talk about percentage per year of increase or sales volume? Just sales uh, volume from like starting at, the, you know, 12 or even 11 or. I mean, in know. 2011, probably I was selling 30, 40 million in sales. And in 2012, as everything shifted, I remember was the, the first time I sold 60 or 70. Yeah. Uh, 2013, I was selling, uh, I think in 2013, I, it was the first year I sold 100 million. Wow. Yeah. Uh, uh, pretty close to 100. And then at that point is when I uh, became partners with uh, with the agency. Uh, I became a principal at the agency, enjoyed the agency. And when, when that happened, I mean... Uh, that's really when it went uh, astronomical. I think like the synergy between what what I had and the and the market share that I had in the west side, in addition with uh, all the things that the agency as a company we bring, right, technology, uh, brand, and all the good things, uh, it really really got me to from like either make selling between ninety and a hundred at, at that year. To go into 150, yeah. the year after going to 200, the year after going to two something, yeah. and then 280, and then 
300 and then it's been like that, you know. Uh, yeah, so it's like a five-year run. And it's interesting because even when you, you know, before the crash, we were all making a couple hundred grand and we were thrilled as young single guys. But that's yeah. just to show you the progression. You were already so successful then, you know, making 30, 40 million of volume, you know, make a million bucks a year was huge as a young person or anybody. And then you yeah. just boom, 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 boom. Uh, pretty spectacular run. So where do you see the market going in the next year to two? And where do you see it going in the next five years? Look, it's, you those are very hard predictions, there? you know. I mean, uh, with, with, the, with the, the way how the world in every aspect is changing so rapidly, the way how the wealth is getting distributed. I mean, there's a lot, of, a lot of reasons why it's very, very difficult. But I actually, as you know, the optimistic, I think we're going to have a very stable, hot market like it's right now. Uh, for the for the next year year and a half, no no, I don't see any I don't foresee any big changes. Uh, in the next five years, it will be interesting to see you know uh, what, what's going to happen. But uh, uh, I I think we're we're in a good ride. Yeah, yeah. So and tell me what uh, in terms of dealing with the the high pressure that you're dealing with now. It's a different kind of stress, obviously, but there's stress at every level and dealing with the people that you're dealing with every day. Uh, how do you now deal with failure, rejection, stress? Is it your fitness, your meditation? Is it balancing with family? Like, what is your keys? It's to- all of that, right? It's all of that. There's no one thing, right? I think it's, uh, it's, it's, it's being a little selfish and do things that are important for you to be in a place where all those things don't affect you as much. It's experience and, uh, and, and time that teaches you also that sometimes you don't need to be worked out about a lot of stuff. Uh, is, is learning uh, how to control and, and deal with the with the issues in life without letting that affect your entire life, right? And it's, it's compartmentalizing and separating work from family and from personal, right? So if you have the ability, you develop that ability to leave, you know, work at some point, and uh, you know that as in the career we 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 are, yeah. we always have phone call, a text, or email away from the clients, and yeah. technology has made. Uh, our lives even more busy because now they can reach out any time before it was only in the office. Now it's like any time and they want an answer quick, right? I want an answer right now. I know you're looking at your t- your cell phone. Why you didn't respond to my text message? Right. So it's having the ability to to, to disconnect and, and to be able to tell your clients that there is times that you won't answer the phone, right? I mean, uh, I'm my, when I'm with my kids or so I'm on vacation, you know, unless it's an emergency, which I can always be reached that way. Hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna respect my time off, and I think that helps. Uh, it helps balance things out, so you don't get so immersed in the problems and the stress and this and that. So I read a lot of books. You know, I I, I lead. I probably read one book per month, uh, and I'm always learning all these things. Right? There is amazing books out there that teach you how to deal with the stress, how to deal with this, how to deal with that, how to become this, and how you train your mind. I mean, there's a lot of stuff, right? So. Learning, always learning, I think is important. I, I love to learn every day something new uh, and apply it, right? And sometimes I apply things I don't like, and sometimes I apply things and they become my new thing. So uh, that's that's how I do it. Yeah, so you're constantly learning and seeking and trying to improve and yes. trying to get a little further mm-hmm. and trying things out, recalibrating. Uh, I think that's one of the true uh, themes and elements of people of success in every part of their life, have have that desire, that sort of mamba mentality that we always talk about, which is so huge. Um, yeah. Uh, before we wrap up, any funny stories you want to share? Any craziness? Anything you can share publicly? 
Oh Real man, there's so many crazy stories. I mean, I don't even know where where to start. I mean, uh, I'll, I'll rather go with a funny one as opposed to a crazy. That's funny. Uh, you like funny? And, uh, let, let me think of a funny story. I mean, uh, I mean, every time I get asked this question, is is it's a blank because there are a lot of them, and you start thinking about what the story is. And it's like, should I say this story or shouldn't say this story, right? But Put you on the spot, man. Don't want to get you in any trouble though so don't say anything that's going to get you into trouble and you know uh you it's up to you if you know if you got if it's better not to share these I'll we'll tell talk, a funny story we'll i had a listing i had a listing once and uh i guess this house was used for a number of commercials and a number of like films and videos and this and that so i knew there was always activity in the house uh what i didn't know is what kind of videos they were filming in the house so I had a showing request and I sent an email to the owners of the house. Uh, and, uh, and, the, and the showing request was basically for, let's call it, 3 o'clock tomorrow. I sent an email. I made an appointment. It was confirmed. 2.45, I get to the house. I open. I start opening and turning on the lights. And I go downstairs and I'm not paying attention. And I walk into the pool and they're filming a full-on porn video. <laughs> I walk literally into the middle of it in the pool and I went, oh, and I literally started backtracking, backtracking my steps and I'm like, you know, running upstairs to make sure that the buyers are not already there and sure enough, I caught him in the in the, in the in the entrance and I was like, guys, we cannot do this joint right now, there's a problem and uh, I'm so sorry and I had to cancel it, but that was actually uh, And then you ran back and joined in? <laughs> no, I did not that, do that. that I was, was like, funny. I was so embarrassed, man. I, oh, I wanted to get out of there as fast as possible. That is so funny. Well, thank you. Thank you for sharing some time with us. We'll catch up more over drinks or lunch or dinner. Send my best to uh, the boys, to Mauricio and thank Billy you, and Blair. Love you guys. Miss you. And I will, uh, I will. keep, keep up the good you work. Too. You are a one of a kind, man. And I, I uh, get so much inspiration. It's fun to watch. And it's uh, you're you. always in a... And always a good reminder that, hey, you can always do more. You can always push harder, further. You know, I, I love that. Thank you, Danny. Good Thank to see you. Danny. Let's get out and surf, bro. Let's do it. Let's Let's do it. Let me know when. I'm ready. Good to see you, Sati.